This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up, Subversity here with Dan Zhang. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. We're going to do a show today uh, talking uh, with two documentary directors about uh, really hard issues, hard to talk about. This is KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, Today we're going to be talking with a film director uh, in this first half segment, uh, Chico um, Kovad. Uh, Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, your documentary is really uh, a difficult topic to talk about, and I'm sure it was really difficult for you to make. you're the uh, director of a film called Family Affairs that looks at um, incest within a family, your own family. Uh, why did you make the film? Um, why did I make it? Well, I, I, I mean, it wasn't really a, a film that I wanted to make, um, you know, because of the, you know, the taboo, sensitive and... and and I think volatile nature of the um, the subject matter. Um, you know, I, I really spent a lot of time trying to distance myself from that part of my past, and um, it wasn't something I, I, I set out to do. I mean, I, I I I really didn't didn't intend to make a documentary. I I was just you know I was witnessing something that was happening between my sisters every time that I would go and visit them. And um, I, I sort of set out to capture what I saw and and play it back for them, thinking that if they could see themselves, you know, how every time we got together that they would sort of turn on each other instead of turning on our, our father, which is where I thought a lot of their anger should be directed. I thought that if they could see that, that, you know, it would it would have a sort of healing effect, um, and you know, one at one time that I went down to visit them, I live in Boston, and I you know most of them live in Kentucky or or parts of Ohio, and one trip I went down to visit them, and I just happened to have this little you know pocket camcorder with me, and and I was told just moments before that. Our dad was going to be there, who I hadn't seen in 15 years, um, and you know I, I stopped having a relationship with him once I was able to really sort of wrap my head around what he had done to my sisters, and um, I wasn't, ex- you know, I wasn't quite ready for him at that point. But you know, there he was, you know, walking through the door, and all I could do was, in some way, sort of hide behind this this little camcorder. Um, and I think I sort of, you know, I felt, I felt like, I felt like a coward. I felt like a failure because I'd always imagined that I would have confronted him in this moment after all these years. And it wasn't until months later, after I'd gone back to Boston, that I, I started to think maybe there's a story here, a story about what people weren't talking about, um, about what people weren't, why they weren't confronting this man, um, about, you know, why my sisters were still having a relationship with him, why the neighbors were still having a relationship with him, his family, everyone. Um, and it was, it was like, it was unlike any story that I had seen around this issue. Um, and so I, 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 I sort of set out really not to make a film, but just to sort of make sense of what I was seeing and and, um, and and in some sort of way, you know, just really capture it um, so that I, I could make sure that I wasn't making it up in my head. <laughs> yeah. So um, it turned out differently from what you expected then, huh? The conversations. Yeah. I mean, initially, you know, I, I sort of thought that I, I, I could... Um, I could I could indict him. That, you know, I thought that was that's what was going on. People didn't really know the full magnitude of, of of what this man had done, 
And I thought maybe if I if I did some digging, some investigative work, and 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 play that back for people, sort of objectively, that people would you know have this like aha moment, like oh man, is that what this guy did? I can't believe I've been hanging out with him. That that's what I thought, you know, like it would be an indictment piece. But it, I, I think you know, I mean, looking back on it, I I don't think that that would have been a very satisfying film. Um, for me, the, the the far more interesting sort of question um, became trying to understand um, why people were accommodating this guy. And I, I think that the conclusion that I came to was that it really sort of stemmed um, or, or came down to sort of a, a, a very basic um, eternal longing for, for family. And in many ways, my sisters, who are the, the, the victims, the direct victims and survivors of his crimes, were in some ways doing something really sort of brave and courageous, and that is I think they were turning to him, to their offender, and demanding that he play a part, he play a role that he failed to do when they were children, and that is to play the part of a father to his children from his, his other marriage, to play the part of a grandfather to their children, my nieces and nephews. Um, and, and, and that's, I think, you know, that, that's, what he's, that's what he's done. And I think that because they made themselves present, I think, you know, I, I would argue that they probably um, saved his children, at least, if not other kids, um, from being molested. That's interesting. Um, what you um, are saying is um, makes sense because the media often um, portrays the, the this type of situation as between a perpetrator and a victim or survivor, and they never see it as anything else. But what you are painting in your uh, portrayal is a much more complex um, relationship among the parties and it's it's as if you know the that you know we're stuck in this society and we need to relate to each other even if they have done wrong things evil things in the past i think that's right and i think the story that i'm telling it it is it is complex um complicated on on many levels and it's also it's a story that's closer to the truth than the one that typically gets told in the media. If you ask any therapist who deals with um, survivors of some form of sexual assault, um, most of whom uh, know their offenders, so fathers and uncles and people we trust are oftentimes implicated, they tend to have an ongoing relationship with them. Um, either, uh, you know, by choice or by default. A lot of people come up to me after screenings, and um, a lot of people will say, yeah, they, they were sexually assaulted and, and you know, are, are dealing, struggling with the same issues about, uh, you know, it happened so many years ago, do they confront this person now? A lot of people also come up to me and say that they were not sexually assaulted but completely identify with, some of the other themes and issues in the film that I think I really focus on, which is issues of forgiveness and also issues of what does it mean to be complicit in sort of covering up for somebody who has betrayed us in the past. And a lot of people identify with that. A lot of people say, I wasn't molested, but I have a father or parents, usually a dad, <laughs> who, who betrayed them in some way when they were younger and now this guy goes around and sort of holds himself out to the world as this, you know, nice, cuddly grandfather. And they have to make a choice about whether they continue to go to, you know, all of these family events where this guy is still there who, when they see them, they're reminded of how he terrorized them when they were younger or was absent when they were younger or was a drunk or something like that. And this guy who now presents himself as this, you know, the, the, the softer, gentler version of his former self, um, 
and I think it's it's a real it's a real struggle for a lot of people. Some could see it as an indictment of a of the heterosexual family. <laughs> I you know I don't I don't know.、Uh, I mean I'm certainly that's certainly not my goal.、Um, <laughs> uh, you know I didn't I never sat down with my editor or anywhere in my notes and said yeah this is you know let's be subversive here and and go after the heterosexual family. Um, I, I, I mean, the thing is, is that I have people who are, you, you know, cut across all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds,、um, racial backgrounds, religious backgrounds,、um, gay, straight, bi, you name it,、um, who who identify with the film, and I'm not, you know, nowhere in the film do I try to make it a race film or a Uh, you know, a heterosexual or a gay. You know, I, like I'm not, I'm not taking on those issues.、Um, and so I think that the the issues again about forgiveness and accommodating parents who betrayed us is is universal. It's not exclusive to one particular group or the other. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's sort of a sad commentary on uh, on um, society, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah,、um, but I just、um, I mentioned the heterosexuality part because it seems like if if it was a gay relationship that、um, ended up in、uh, you know sexual abuse, then the media would be all around you know screaming a gay、uh, molester, but they never say heterosexual molester. <laughs> so I'm just saying the media is pretty distorted in how it、um, references these kind of events. Yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, and and certainly in the、uh, in the seventies when you know this、uh, our family crisis came to a head,、um, the media wasn't talking about this gay, straight, or otherwise at all.、Um, you know, it's sort of like it it's it's so terrible. That it's not supposed to happen, so we're not going to talk about it.、Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that here's here's a statistic, and I don't really, you know, I don't get into statistics and stuff like that in the film. But here here's one for you, and it seems to really sort of be playing itself out in you know the number of people that email me, contact me, or come up to me after screenings. One one in four women. This is just dealing with women. One in four women are sexually assaulted by the time that they're eighteen by someone that they know. And so, again, you know, fathers and all those trusted people are oftentimes implicated. And you know, if you if you sort of increase the number, or if you add in boys and men, I mean that that number just continues to grow to a point to where. I'm almost surprised when I talk to somebody and they either have not directly or indirectly been affected by some form of sexual assault. You know, th- your film is like a cross between the the color purple and、uh, and capturing the Freedmans,、um, and it reveals,、uh, I think, something that I never seen really or rarely see on film is、um, the. Uh, the person, the 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 former uh, girl, uh, woman now, talking about what happened, and you know, revealing things that I thought were pretty amazing about、uh, her recollection of the incidents. Yeah, I mean that's that's another thing. You know, it's 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 another misnomer, right?、Um, yes. The, the fact, I mean, the piece that you're talking about is is where I'm interviewing. I'm driving in the car with my sister. One of my sisters, and and、um, she says something like, she laid in bed one night and prayed to God that our father would come in the room and molest her. And I, to this day, you know, I look back at that footage and I have no idea how I was able to aim the camera at her and drive at the same time because I was. Completely blown away by what she said. I'd never heard anything like it. I was not prepared for that at all. And、um, I don't know how I didn't crash the car. I really don't. I mean, I don't even remember it. I think it was so shocking to me. I actually, the only way that I actually remember it 
is by going and looking at the footage each time, even to this day. Hmm. And it was it it so blew me away. You were on autopilot. <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess I was. I guess I was. It so blew me away that I was not going to make a film with any experts and talking heads in it at all. But this was the one time where I, I really felt like it was necessary for me. And as close and as understanding and open as I am, because this is my sister, my sisters, I, I knew that it would be important for an audience also to to you know have somebody sort of step in and help make sense of it. Or or you know, and I so I went to the leading expert, and I a part of me sort of thought you know she was going to say, you know, you, I've never heard anything like this before. Your sisters are very troubled, you know. Uh, but yeah. let's, Get them in here right away, you know. <laughs> and and in, you know, and I, I stood there, sort of waiting for her response and for her to say, "Your family's really weird." And and instead, she <laughs> and she said, she was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is totally, yeah, this is totally common. This is exactly right." And the way that she explained it to me um, is, she said, "You have to think of your sisters as being." captive on this little island. Here they are, hostages in this, this home, this hostile environment that your father has created, where this man who could be so cruel and punishing all the time, the one time that he shows them care and affection is tender, rewarding, all the things he should be as a father is when he's molesting them. So why wouldn't they have a positive association with it? And, and and the fact that sex can be pleasurable. So, but my sister also goes on to talk about how conflicted she is about that, about being honest and saying it was pleasurable, but recognizing that she's she's admitting that she enjoyed when she was a kid, when she was younger and didn't understand, she found it pleasurable to have having sex with her father. And, um, you know, this is not uncommon, but this is also nothing that I'd, I'd never heard this on film. I would challenge anybody to find this for me anywhere on film. But, again, if you talk to any therapist who deals with anybody who's sort of experienced some form of sexual assault, especially incest, this is very common. She also said that your father was very gentle. Yeah. And, yeah, and as opposed to when he... His normal state is kind of very macho, I guess, uh, in the house. But he terrorized. I mean, he, you know, he was a military guy, and and um, and and he he part of what he did, I guess, is you know torture people in war and train guys how to do that sort of stuff. All the stuff you know we're hearing about now, and you know Guantanamo and Ghost of Abu Ghraib and all that. I mean, this is this is he was that guy. This is what he did. Mm -hmm. Except, or in addition, he also brought a lot of that home. You were fascinated by guns, and you 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 liked the that TV show, uh, and the uh, Rifleman. Yeah, and so you ended up actually shooting accidentally your sister, and that's how yeah. the, all this stuff came out, right? Yeah, I you know I mean I was one you know we live in a gun culture that that was you know that's part of it. Um, and, again, especially, you know, when this happened in the 70s, you know, I mean, every other show, you know, it was a cowboy western or shoot 'em up something. And I also, this was in a military environment, so, you know, a very sort of gun presence there as well. And I was completely drawn in by this, this show, you know, The, the Rifleman, um, uh, you know, I, I, and and the irony is, is you know, I, I, I really admired Chuck Connors. You know, he played this the mm. character, the Rifleman, for for all of his good values, his strong sense of right and wrong, um, that he would never, you know, intentionally, uh, you know, kill somebody or you know, and and so usually, you know, it was sort of the case that. <clears throat> Uh, my sisters would, you know, be like cleaning up the house or something like that, and uh, to keep me occupied or preoccupied, they would 
tell me I could go and watch The Rifleman. And, um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't strange. I mean, it seems odd to me now, but back then it wasn't strange. You would tend or ten year old kid yeah. to be walking around the house with a rifle. Not in the, not in that environment. Yeah. Um and so, you know, this one day I um went upstairs in the kitchen and as they say the you know, the rifle discharged and um I ended up shooting my sister in the leg and it was just you know, it's terrible and she you know, it's not like in the movies. <laughs> Unlike in Rifle Man, where you see someone get shot in the leg and they, you know, they tie a bandana or something around their leg and they get back up and they get on their horse and they're fine. It's it's not like that at all. Um, she, you know, she nearly she nearly died. They thought she was going to die, and so because she thought she was going to die, that's that's what motivated her to reveal to my mother and then later the police in the hospital uh, what our father had been doing. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, our time is coming up. And so uh, I want to thank you for this uh, call and I wish we had more time. Uh, but good luck on the film. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having me on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, we have now with us on the phone another director uh, who has also a new documentary, another um, topic that is uh, uh, often not talked about. Uh, and this is uh, the topic of uh, honor killings. And the film is Quest for Honor by Marianne Smothers Bruni. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Yes, uh, it's a, a searing documentary of what happens to women in uh, Kurdistan and in other parts of the region. Um, you say that this tradition is uh, a thousand years old or, or more. Uh, how do you put an end to it then? That I, I don't have the answer to. I think education and is, is the best thing. Uh, it's, it's not Islamic, though, and it's not Christian or any... It, it, predates both religions. The first time I was aware of honor killing was when I was a um, student at the University of Madrid doing graduate work, and I actually did some papers on honor killing in 17th century Spain. Uh, it was prom prominent enough in 17th century Spain to where they had a genre of honor killing dramas. Oh. Uh, that Calderón de la Barca, who was also a priest, wrote. And they were considered then to be Roman Catholic. I don't believe they're Catholic or Islamic. I think they go back much further than either religion. So um, what made you decide to do a film about it? I think that I was... The main thing that, that, that um, made me want to do a film about honor killing was when I saw in Kurdistan women, very brave and very activist women, working to stop the practice. That's not something we think of here. We don't think of women taking hold of themselves. We, we, we have a bad tendency to think of them not being able to, to do anything, but they, women are working to stop honor killing, as is the, the Kurdish government, by the way. They have made honor killing a crime and are working to stop it throughout the region. So the, these are women with the Women's Media Center in Suleymaniya. Yes. Yes. And so they, Very brave. They've, become, mm -hmm. uh, they've gone beyond being victims to being, um, you know, activists. I think Kurdish women have gone way beyond being victims a long time ago. They were active uh, in stopping the genocide, uh, the Kurdish genocide, and they were active in rebuilding afterwards. So I'm, and in a way I'm not surprised, but I think it's time that activist women on both sides of the Atlantic and both in Europe and in the Middle East make common cause to stop common the killing of women, because it's it's becoming a plague every place, unfortunately. I live on the Texas border, and of course the problems we have in Juarez and around there uh, is it, it, probably much greater than in the Middle East. So, uh, actually, I mean, I, I googled uh, honor killing, and uh, it's actually all over the world, it seems like, huh? I well, mean, yes, certainly. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a 
custom that's been in the Mediterranean and the American Southwest and all of South America. It has different forms. Uh, in Texas, for example, a man would earlier would kill his wife or her lover, whereas in the Middle East it might be done by a brother or a father. But it's still the same thing. The man's honor has been shamed, and a woman's blood must pay. It's a uh, uh, enforcement of patriarchal codes uh, that go back back pretty far. Uh, yeah, it's women is property. And why would uh, what 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 would bring it about? Could it be? It's not always uh, sex, right? It could be some kind of other thing that brings so-called dishonor. I think it's mainly a sexual misbehavior in some way, though it might be less than what we would think. For example, in the film, this one man says she had a cell phone without her husband's permission. She had a cell phone, and that would bring dishonor. But that's an extreme. I think usually there's some type of mis or, or some type of perceived misbehavior, or a woman not wanting to marry someone she's been promised to. In the case of some families, oh, because that's like a arranged marriage. Yes. Yes. And um, did uh, you know? I was interested in the reaction of the cops in your film. Like one cop was saying uh, uh, that he. You know, you were asking, well, how come nobody got uh, punished for all this? He said, we can't torture them. <laughs> well, I, that's almost the comical part of the movie, where no one's <laughs> expecting it. Not that, not the, the woman who's talking to him, nor, nor, nor us, so we are expecting him to say, oh, I, what can I do? You know, I can't hit him, I can't torture him, all these human rights people around. But that's almost a comical um, comment on the part of one person. It's not, I don't think it's, It's. I mean, I hope it's not uh, universal in, in, in any respect. So what happens to, when they find a body, and you have scenes of the morgue, what happens when bodies are gathered? Uh, I guess some families refuse to claim them, huh? Well, that's what uh, we were told by the women in the in the media center, that they have the problem of uh, sometimes when there's an honor killing, the family doesn't want to claim the body. They don't want anyone to know it's their, you know, a body from their family. Uh, it's part of the shame, I suppose, um, or, you know, if they've been involved in the killing. I, I really don't know, other than what I showed exactly in the film of the of the, uh, of the women from the media center showing me uh, photographs of women who have not been claimed. Is there a way that they would... Um I mean, how how do you challenge that? How do you change the behavior? You know, I wish I knew. I don't think, as I said, I don't want to, to think, think of this as just a, a Kurdish or Islamic behavior. Uh, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and um, I was speaking to the head of the battered women's shelter the other day, just last Sunday, and uh, she told me there were over 200 women in the center in San Antonio in danger of being killed right now as we speak. So it's not, it's, wow. as I said, this is a universal problem, and that's the way I see it. What I wanted to focus on on the film is how Kurdish women were fighting this. Uh, we, we fight it also in the United States. What I would like to see is women in America and women in the Middle East and women in the Mediterranean and South America uh, make common cause and find solutions to this by working together because I think the problems are more similar uh, than we think. Culturally, they're different, but yeah. the result of a dead woman is yeah. the same, yeah. whether it's in San Antonio or whether it's in Suleimania. So you're looking for solidarity among... Absolutely, absolutely. I think we have so much more in common than we have uh, at odds with one another. Is the... Was... Uh, was the language a problem in making the film? It's in no, you, you, yeah. no, it really wasn't. First of all, I think you have to realize that English is spoken widely in Kurdistan and, and in all Iraq. It was a British mandate at one point, and right. so many people are educated in English. And, and more so um, in the Kurdish area recently, uh, because they've, they've become so pro-American that they, uh, the, most of the schools teach English there now. Ah, I see. So it's not hard, and I understand a slight bit of Kurdish. I'm, I'm, I'm 
my language are, are, are Spanish and English, but I can understand a, a wee bit of Kurdish. What's the and American? I always had someone to, to translate without oh, any yeah. trouble. What's the American, uh, U.S. military position on this? Well, you know, we don't see any military up in the Kurdish area, so uh, oh, really? I don't know. Oh. Uh, they, they, they take care of their own with their Peshmerga, which is like a, um, like a National Guard, and um, they protect up there, and I haven't seen violence, actually. Oh. And I haven't seen, and, and, and Americans come up there on leave for rest and recreation, so I'll see them at the hotels uh, sunbathing and, and, <laughs> and swimming, but I don't see them driving around in tanks. What, what's the, is, the, is it always very hot there, or, how, or what's the weather like? <laughs> it's terribly hot in the summer, but I'm from South Texas, so I'm not terribly bothered by that. It, it can get up to about 120 degrees, but it's, it, the, the Basically, it looks a lot like northern New Mexico. It's very mountainous and um, has a lot of water and, and good climate most of the year, but it can be terribly hot. And, of course, as is northern New Mexico, where I have a home, it also can be bitterly cold. But most of the time, it's, it's a nice weather. It's not the, is it humid or oh, no? Oh, no, it tends to be dry, dry, I guess you'd say. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's, it's not as dry as, as, as when I was talking about, like, Taos. Or, or Santa Fe, which is high desert. It's not high desert. They have more water than we do, but it is. It tends to be dry. How, how did this woman's center get uh, established? Um, I'm not quite sure. Uh, there's there's a very outstanding woman uh, who is the mother of uh, the prime minister of Kurdistan, Burham Salah's mother, uh, Runak. Uh, Runak Rauf, and she was one of the establishers. She's the director of the center, and um, she, she's a very outstanding woman. One of the things that fascinated me about her is when the, the Kurds had a civil war, I think it was 93, 94, and we couldn't solve it, the UN couldn't solve it. She organized 150 women and, and marched into parliament and shamed the men into stopping the war. Huh. So she's been a very activist woman, as you probably saw in the film when she's talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you like her? Dynamic, yeah. Very, very dynamic. dynamic. Yeah. How, does, uh, how did you pick the... So you went through the center, and uh, they, uh, they talk about the cases that they had been involved in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did, um, well, we, we, we were actually talking to several women and, and in several centers, and we're doing a second film that will include them. But uh, as we walked in there one day, and Grunot got the telephone call about the killing in, um, in, in, um, up, up in the weather, Turkey and Iraq and Iran meet. And we took off over there and followed them. Um, a very good, a very good camera crew. Uh, just a fantastic crew that was just right behind her and right behind those police. I mean, that um, anything past the telephone call was not staged. It was happening. It happening as we were there. So, um, of course, it was such a strong storyline that um, that's what we ended up following. Uh, then we decided we really needed a woman who was still running. You know, who because our victim was dead and she couldn't speak and so we waited about six months and um, him and Kakai, a journalist from there, called me and said, hey, you know, I'm following this story of a second woman and, and we flew over and, and again we just followed him. So um, <laughs> that, that's why we did the story. We didn't find anything else quite that dramatic anywhere. It, 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 yeah. um, and it also, I think it, I, I feel like the film not only talks about the women who have been killed and the women in trouble, but look at the, 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 the woman journalist um, who speaks perfect English, um, the, the young man who works with her, the, um, the women in the center, the, women, the, the, the woman lawyer who works with the women in prison. I mean, there, there's a variety of women in the film. Yes, yes. Not just the victims. How does uh, was the how about the act of making a movie there was was everything uh, covered with dust and all that stuff? Uh, I mean the cameras, <laughs> camera equipment. <laughs> not not any more than it is in South Texas when I photograph. I mean you know it's I, I don't live in New York City. I live in the the country, so I'm I'm accustomed to dust. 
uh, we didn't have any real trouble with it. Um, I mean, we had to be careful with our lenses and things, but yeah. but you do in any any time when you're in a dusty country, and um, the the cooperation you can see the cooperation we got. We got the cooperation from the policemen, from yeah. the Kurdistan regional government, from officials, even people that didn't much agree with us and maybe didn't even want us talking about this. Mm-hmm. They all were very very cooperative and and had their say, and they didn't mind saying when they didn't agree with us. Though I have to say, they didn't see me very much. It was, uh, this film was, uh, we had a, a large contingency of Kurds involved in it, and as you see, it's a journalist, Kurdish journalist, Kurdish activist who are interviewing these people, not mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I always was, I usually was not in sight. I usually just had a headphone and a, you know, um, I had, of course, I had connections with the, I, I had a, um, a viewing screen and, and I could talk to the people interviewing, but uh, they did that work themselves. What we wanted was a Kurd's view of this, not not a Texan's view of it. I see. And, I see. and don't you, you know, I, I love the part at the end where mm. we have that Kurdish man, um, Baruch Tugan, who lived here for 20 years and was um, a journalist here, and he's interviewing in Kurdish, the guy, you know, and you hear him say, you're Kurd, aren't you? Well, you know we can't do it this way. So we, we tried to make it a film in the voice of the Kurds, and, nope. and I hope. How do you think we we achieve that to some extent? Yeah, except uh, I, I suppose because it's in Kurdish uh, yeah. language, so I think the reception would be you know different over there probably, huh? Because over here it's still you know people still think of it as uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's it's. I, I don't know how people would receive it. How, it's just opened. Uh, it's just opened. This but week. it's yeah. It's interesting. We showed it. Um, uh, we showed it a number of, of battered women's shelters and women who work with this here, and they seem to take common cause immediately and say, "Oh, they're like mm. us. Mm. Uh, look, they have the same problems we do." Uh, it's amazing. It probably depends on your own your own background. But as I said, when we've taken this into shelters here, uh, particularly, as I said, in South Texas, uh, I remember Marta Paleas, who's head of battered women in San Antonio, standing up and said, these women are just like us. We Mm. must get to know them. We must learn common strategies. We must exchange ideas. Um, I I never felt that Kurdish women... uh, Maybe they're a little like southwestern women, you know. Maybe they're not so urban always, but um, yeah. uh, they're not unlike women I know here. I've, I've always felt very close to them. That's great, yeah. How did the law get changed there? Um, the the Kurdish parliament changed the law. It's, it's interesting. In Baghdad, uh, honor killing is a defense. You can say, I killed for honor, and you won't be charged. Hmm. In Kurdistan... Honor killing is a crime. Now, the problem is, as pointed out in the film, that you can change the laws, but the customs don't change overnight. Right. Uh, it takes time. So there's still honor killing going on, but it is a crime if it's um, if, if you catch them and, and charge them. Do you think the police are actually trying to catch them? You know, I really can't, I can't speak to that. I can't, uh, I'm afraid that, that our experience is anecdotal. I mean, I saw what I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect they are trying to catch them, but I can't, I can't really make a statement. What we're hoping to do is um, take a list of all the questions we've had and have academics and Kurds and other people answer them and put them out in the book to go along with the, uh, with the film. So you because can... I, yeah, that's, uh, that's a great idea, yeah. Are you going to circulate mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but that's what we hope to do, is is, is, is we've had a good reception from academics, too, in, in Middle Eastern studies, mm-hmm. and uh, we want to work with them, work with Kurdish women who are working on this problem, um, and, and get answers to these questions. And then, again, ask the Kurdish government, because uh, I'm sure they're trying to keep statistics on this. And, and trying to do something about it. Um, it takes a long time, though, to change people's minds. And um, actually, in Texas, honor killing was only outlawed in the 1960s. Really? Wow. That, 
Mom. Before that, a man could kill his, his wife and her lover, and not the other way around, though, just exactly like in Kurdistan, and, and it wouldn't be charged. <laughs> really? oh <my> gosh. Huh. <laughs> it doesn't work the other way, just, just for the men. So it's, um, uh, it, it, as I said, it's a longstanding um, tradition based on, based on women as property. Uh, this is my woman. I can do what I want with her. And, and I've talked to women in battered women's shelters here, and that's what I hear is, well, she was my wife, you know. Uh, she was mine. And uh, it's one professor in San Antonio at St. Mary's University said something very interesting to me. He said, you know, I found it very difficult to watch that film. Yeah. Uh, what the women said was frightening. What the men said upset me even more. Yeah. But as I thought about it, what upset me more is I could have heard those same comments in many a locker room, male locker room in Texas. Wow. So it's not, I think we have to remember this is a worldwide problem. And what I want to see is women working together, Kurds, Arabs, Turks, whoever, uh, South Americans, Texans, working together to stop this. That's the only way that we'll have any real results. Well, what's the age range of the, of, of the victims? You know, I don't know. I'm suspecting young, but I don't. I can't really say that. I don't know. I, 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 I've been in. I've seen some women in, in Kurdistan. They seem to be younger, uh, and some of the battered women shelters here. I've seen older women also, though. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's hard for me to know. Like I said, I'm 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 not an expert. At my experience is is what I've seen and what I can share, and hope that that encourages people to look further and and as i said we are going to do some outreach with this um using expert opinion not mine yeah, your title is quest for honor of your film and um are you implying that uh that both both the victim and the perpetrator are are looking for honor or no no, what I'm thinking is that there's there's some reference in the film, and I'm sorry I can't point it out right this second, that it's, it's Runak Rauf who's so wise and such a, a, a brave and wonderful woman. She says, uh, you know, that we should, that, that honor is not about one part of the body. Honor includes many other things. So this is a quest for redefining honor. Right, right. And a quest for real honor. What is real honor? What is a, a something a man and a woman should uh, should care about that, that defines their honor, not what their wife does or their daughter does or their sister does, but what they do. So, so in that way, then you can overcome this this need to kill, I guess. Well. <laughs> It's a long tradition, as I said, but I, I, you know, I hope we could. I could. I hope that 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 uh, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, all types of women could come together and work on this, and not just have one group or the other, or our Middle Easterners or South Americans or somebody else that's not us. I think we have to realize this is our problem too, and work together. Uh, I was very taken by Christoph's book on this. Uh, Christoph and his wife, the book they wrote, Half the Sky, and mm -hmm. I think what he said was something like, you know, 5,000 people die in a hurricane and it's on CNN for a, a week, but 5 million women can be killed in a year and, and, and there's very little coverage, and it's a problem we have to attack. Yeah, it's how media portrays these uh, issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think we need to, to get on it. But but uh, I also enjoyed uh, filming the, the Kurdish uh, countryside and the different types of people, you know. They're, they're all the women in blue jeans and with their hair flowing and then uh -huh. others uh, very tribal. Uh, it's, it's a colorful place in that there are many types of women. It's not just uh, um, you don't really see many women covered in, in cities. Hmm. So, uh, it, it, well, look in the film. You you, you don't yeah. see many women. Percentage wise, you don't see many women covered. It's. I remember that, that when I came in uh, across from Iran once through the mountains, uh, which was 
with illegal entry at that time, because it was the time of Saddam Hussein and came into Kurdistan, that I had to walk the last little bit, and I was covered because I'd been in Iran, and these Peshmerga that were in this, this house where, uh, where they were greeting me, they, rec- they knew I was coming, and I had been in their camp before, and they yelled out, Lady, take off your scarf. We don't do burqa in Kurdistan. So I think that's, that's pretty much the feeling. There, there is very little covering in that area. There is covering, but there's, but there's not much well, more in the yeah. small towns. That's pretty interesting, yeah, because uh, people here probably think it, it is universal over there. No, it's not. I, I, I find that so sad. I really think the way that America will, will win the hearts and minds, if that's the way people want to put it, I don't think of it quite like that. But as, as we <laughs> yeah. become to know Middle Easterners, we have to get rid of these images that, um, that, that are so wrong. I remember that, that people told me when they saw, you know, the, the recent riots in, in um, Tehran, they were saying, oh, look, the, the, the Iranians have changed so much. Well, they haven't changed. The difference was that it was Iranians taking pictures of themselves with cell phones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, that, and so you saw what Iranians really look like instead of someone that's marching in some, you know, kill the great Satan march or something. Uh, because that's, that hardly defines Iranians. You know, you, you've made other uh, projects. You've done other projects. Uh, one was uh, Stations for Layla, uh, Ritual yes. and Belief. Uh, what what was that about? Maybe you can. Oh, that about. was very sad. Well, the first, my one of my first friends, in fact, my very first friend in Iraqi Kurdistan, who was my hostess for um, for a couple of years there, uh, was brutally, savagely murdered. Uh, it was a political murder, mm. thought to have been done by Saddam Hussein, we don't know. But uh, I, I really just suffered with post-traumatic stress and that I just could not handle the fact that I had been there uh, a few weeks before and she was dead. And, and worse, I gave her, I was there right in the winter and uh, the border was closed with Baghdad and they didn't have winter clothes so I gave her my robe and she was killed in my robe which everyone always remembered and it just was so so horrible for me and somehow uh, I um, I for years have done um, have photographed the Stations of the Cross at Our Lady of Guadalupe Church in San Antonio it's something I do for them I'm, I'm very fond of the people there and and that that year when I went to photograph it all of a sudden it hit me that this this was uh, you know a murder not you know not just not just an Easter pageant that it represented the, the killing of an innocent person and and it hit me for the first time that something like the, the, the crucifixion for example isn't something that happened one time and one place to one person, but it's something that happens daily. It's the killing of innocent people. And so I used photographs from, from dervishes, from, um, from the Middle East, and from the actual Stations of the Cross to make my own stations uh, that incorporated uh, several religions. By the time I by the time I had my last exhibition, there were seven religions, including the Candomblé in in Brazil and uh, Zoroastrians. Uh, uh, in their the way they they observe death and and rebirth, and uh, it was a, a very deep experience for me. Wow! Yeah, that's devastating. Huh? Yeah. And and that's the way I think you you deal with terrible experiences is through art writing mm-hmm. and then ultimately uh, in this case through film. So it's a blessing for me to be able to do this. It's, it's the way I can work out my own problems. It's the first of three films you anticipate. I will have three films. We're working on a second one that has to do with the Kurdish genocide and how women in Kurdistan have fought the, 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 the Kurdish genocide and are rebuilding, how they've taken hold of their own lives. You realize that there were uh, so many widows left, that there were so many widow-headed households so that women had to come to grips with uh, realities that, 
that they weren't really trained to do and began to take over. So that's the second film. Um, and the third one actually is, is going to be on, on religion because the Kurdish area is not just uh, Islamic. Most of the Kurds are Sufi to start with, so they're more tolerant. And, and not that the Muslims aren't tolerant, but they, they tend to be super tolerant. And, uh, of course, it's a Kurdish area that Christianity was born in, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's still the very, very old churches, the Chaldean and the Syrian churches are there, and uh, also the, the, the ancient Iranian religions, including Zoroastrianism, uh, uh, something called the Yazidis and Al Haq. It's very rich in religions and, and a variety of religions. So the third one will be about women and their participation in these various religions and religious freedom there. That's great. Yeah, I look forward to your future <laughs> films. Uh, this is Dan Sang. I'm, uh, we have to sign off pretty soon. And so thank you very much for well, being thank on this you. I hope I, I hope I enlightened you some on this. I, oh, yeah, definitely. I, but uh, thank you so much. I, I've enjoyed it. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on your program. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Mary, uh, Ann, uh, sorry, Mary Ann Smothers Bruni. Uh, her new film is Quest for Honor, about um, honor killings in Kurdistan, Iraq. And earlier we talked with... Um, another filmmaker about another hard-to-talk-about topic, and that was Chico Kovad, whose film was Family Affair, about uh, sexual assault within the family and how, a different way of looking at it, actually, how the families, the perpetrator and the victims, which who were her sister, his sisters, ended up um, accommodating to each other uh, in a relationship uh, that continued um, after the years after the ab- abuse. This is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity here. Thank you for listening. The opinions expressed on the show were not necessarily those of the regions of the University of California nor the management of KUCI.